0: Hi everyone John here from Hogarth House. What you're about to hear is a special live edition of Midday Modern Conversations as part of the Urban Tree Festival. We just wanted to say a quick special thank you again to Mulberry expert Dr Peter Coles for speaking with us and to the Urban Tree Festival for having us part of their fantastic 2021 programme. Welcome everyone to this Midday Modern Conversation today with me John Collins the uh, manager of Hogarth House and with Peter Coles, where we'll be talking about mulberry trees and specifically the mulberry tree at Hogarth House. Uh, This is part of our Midday Modern Conversation series. My job really is looking after Hogarth House and I've been doing that on and off as part of the last 10 years. What we do have is an exciting new project at Hogarth House, which is the Mulberry Garden Project. It's a national lottery heritage funded project, which is seen as completely refurbished garden. And at the centrepiece of that garden, is a tree. We'd like to talk about the sort of tree more generally and find out a little bit more about it. Uh, So to do that I'm joined by Peter Coles. Peter, welcome.
1: Hello John and hello everyone and uh, hello Beth. Nice to see you both again. Thank you very much for inviting me. Did you just want to kind of introduce yourself and kind of your
0: um, experience with with Tree.
1: Okay, thank you. Yeah, um, so I'm Peter Coles and about, uh, I've had a long-standing interest in mulberry trees which was part of my interest in veteran trees generally and veteran urban trees as kind of survivors really despite uh, a lot of uh, obstacles from bombs and fires to just about everything else and development especially Um, and um, over the last 10 years i've got specifically interested in uh, mulberry trees and and their hidden heritage i see mulberry trees as kind of uh, because they've all been deliberately planted i see them as uh, as kind of pointers to a hidden past sometimes where the gardens that they've got their roots in have disappeared under development so they're kind of like question marks making me want to do research so i set up or helped to set up with the conservation foundation a project called morris londinium and with the public's help and some heritage lottery funding we were we've been able to map uh, 700 plus mulberry trees in the london area and uh, As a result of a lot of my research, I I wrote a book uh, called Mulberry, which was published by Reaction Press, um, in uh, Reaction Books, I should say, in 2019. Great, so
0: I've got quite a lot of questions actually, because having worked at the site for a long time, um, you do end up hearing a lot of stories and having a lot of questions. And I thought this would be a great way for us to share some of our experiences and some of those questions um and to do that as part of urban tree festival so we're we're merging this midday modern conversation series that we're doing and if you're interested in any more of those they're on our website hogarthhouse.org or on our youtube channel Um, and it's great to be supporting urban tree festival as well so i'm going to start though with a question that our um kind of time at hogarth for the last few years has been really taken up with a huge refurbishment on the site Um, it's a heritage lottery funded project called the mulberry garden project I guess one of the questions that people it sits there as a remnant of the fact that we used to have an orchard, but is this an old mulberry tree in the grand scheme of things. Um how unusual is it to have a mulberry tree from that period still kind of blooming
1: and extant? To have a mulberry tree in a site that was once an orchard is perhaps not so surprising, uh, but to have a mulberry tree that could be perhaps 400 years old um, is uh, well, it's to be congratulated really. I should say. I don't know. It, it's unusual simply because to find a tree that's 400, anywhere between 300 and 400 years old anywhere is is uh, something that's relatively unusual. To find one in London, to find one near a busy main road. Um, is also uh, spectacular, really, I suppose, and it's something that should be celebrated. I'd say, yes, it's unusual. There are houses like Keats House, which is a, you know, sort of another heritage site that has an old mulberry in its ground. Chances are it's not as old as that, Um, and there are a few other sites around that have some trees that are older, um, perhaps dating to the early 1600s, but not, they're not, where, you know, next to a main road, they're not right in an accessible part of London and there are very few of them. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's an unusual tree.
0: Yeah, we we get this impression that, um, the so the site of Hogarth House, we know that the orchard's there from the um, kind of 1670s, 80s, because uh, it's enclosed from Chiswick Common Field. And we know that the Hogarth house that Hogarth would later go on and buy was sort of built somewhere around sort of seventeen, fifteen. So it seems likely that it's at least as old as the or- as the orchard um, that was set up at that point. Um, a selfish question from my point of view. How much longer do you think we can expect it to live? Um, is there a kind of example you can give of, of older ones or are we, uh, are we really lucky with what we've got?
1: Okay it's like two answers to that really. We don't know how long they will live and given where it is with plenty of uh, light and plenty of good uh, um, soil and so on around it as long as the roots are not compacted and so on then it will be able to go really further into its maturity. Now what happens to mulberry trees when they Um, become more and they go into their advanced age and become sort of ancient trees as the trunk starts to hollow out which is already beginning uh, with the Hogarth mulberry with your mulberry tree Um, and they may fall over. Um, This is very often to find a very old mulberry tree you can find there is one say in Sion House there's an orchard there that I'm particularly interested in that has trees that are four or five hundred years or possibly five hundred years old I do know of some trees in Suffolk that are five, possibly 500 years old, um, mulberry trees. They are all horizontal and they don't look like standing up trees that we might, uh, you know, the the iconic kind of tree standing up or ancient tree. Um, They tend to uh, hollow out and fall over, um, but they carry on growing. So as long as their roots are in the soil and as long as they're protected and nourished and so on, Um, they will continue to grow and they will put up, their branches will become like new stems, new trunks. And this is, when you see really old mulberry trees, this is what they look like. They look like a kind of a a grove of trees rather than one tree. So the future of your tree, if there's plenty of space around it, is likely to be at one stage that it may fall over. And secondly, that um, it will, um, some of the branches that you see there will start to become stems. Now that may be in a hundred years time, who knows? But sixty, seventy years time, it might start to want to lie down, and it will just carry on growing. It's really interesting. We've got
0: we've got early photos where it is stood up straight, like um like a typical tree, and mm. looks quite actually very tall. Um, and we know that kind of Hogarth House as, as a site was damaged by a bomb blast in the Second World War. Okay. Um, and we've got the record of gardeners from Q coming in to put the props that you were just seeing on the image, on the screen there in. Um, but it sounds like there's a combination of things happening here. It's always been kind of in our kind of kind of popular storytelling of it, the, the tree leans over at the moment because of the bomb blast. But it sounds like that's something that just comes to older mulberry trees anyways. So we've probably got perhaps a combination of the two happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, well done for surviving the, the, the bomb blast. That's an extraordinary feat and to still look relatively healthy as well. Um, But they do lean over. They've got these very heavy spreading branches. The mulberry trees tend to be as wide, if not wider than they are tall. Um, And the branches, being so heavy, tend to weigh the tree down. And it doesn't take much, really, of uh, just unevenness in the soil that you hadn't perceived for it to just want to go a little bit one way. And then it will go a bit more and a bit more. And then the tree will compensate for it. Um, and the propping that you've done is really the, the right thing to do. I mean, that's, that's the way to look after them. The propping
0: we've had seems to have done a great job, but the tree's really healthy. So we've actually added a new set of props mm. um, for some of the limbs that really are heading out a long way from the base of the tree at this point, mm. so that it's not kind of, as you say, diving back down to, to try and get into the ground again. Mm. Um, but just kind of, to go back from where we are now, just to go back a bit more historically, why have we got a non-native tree planted in an orchard from the 17th century? What's, can you give us a bit of background about kind of why we've got mulberry trees at all?
1: You've got sort of two, actually more than, more than I was going to say two groups of people um, to thank for that really, but uh, when the Romans occupied uh, southern England in particular um, in the first century AD, they brought with them some of the things, and many of the set people who settled here actually came from Gaul, not from Rome. They came from what is now France, um, where they had also introduced mulberry trees um, because they like the fruit. Pliny the Elder talked about them and talked about its medicinal properties. It has uh, the mulberry fruit and leaves, bark, roots, all have um, medicinal properties, like uh, a lot, especially to do with sore throats and things like that. Um, and stomach upsets so they were kind of get rid of worms so they were known for their medicinal value and of course without pharmacies and chemic, you know pharmacists and pharmaceutical industries you know it was all natural products that would uh, cure various illnesses and so mulberries were um, they were highly rated they're also a very special fruit in that they, they you can't keep them and uh, they can't be preserved really uh, unless they're in jams and syrups um, and what we don't know is that this may be the way that the Romans brought them into, uh, into England in the first century, um, because all we've found so far are some pips. We've not found any wood, a charred wood or anything like that, which may uh, indicate that trees were grown. But we like to think that they did plant them. Uh, they were here for long enough. You know, they would have had trees that were as old as yours by the time they decided to pick up sticks and leave. Um, so it's the fruit. And if you want to have mulberry fruit because it can't be dried, it can't be transported, then you have to have a tree. So um, let's say the mulberries did have them and they did plant them. We know that they were planted around villas. They weren't necessarily part of the feeding the troops in garrisons, which is often said that they were, but there's no evidence for that so far. Um, So they were urban villas, they were a luxury item. Now they seem to have stayed when the monasteries were founded. Um, as part of the infirmary gardens. And of course, these were Catholic monasteries and there was traffic between Rome and, uh, and uh, England um, or Britain. And uh, there would have been some contact with uh, monasteries and, and, and abbeys and so on on the way. And these may well have had mulberry trees, so it may be something that was preserved here in monastery gardens. During James the first, uh, well actually the latter part of Henry VIII's rule, With the dissolution of the monasteries is were either demolished or they were taken over by aristocrats and they tended to keep the mulberry trees. So there's a heritage then, if you like, and then James the first, that's the second part, introduced mulberry trees as part of an effort to start a silk industry. So by the 1700s, should we say, or 1600s, late 1600s, there would have been several mature mulberry trees around Um, that people would have had a chance to taste the fruit of and there would have been a liking for them. There's lots of reasons why people would have known about morbid then they would have liked the fruit and they would maybe have wanted to get one themselves. I'm really interested in, from what you're saying then,
0: Peter, when mulberry trees were being planted, what are people planting? Is this a seed or a cutting or is is either or both of those possible? What are people actually putting in the ground to, to make this happen?
1: I, I would say with somebody who was planting out an orchard, the least likely would be the seed, but that's the most available in one sense. When James I started his silk industry, for example, he wanted to import thousands of mulberry trees to start a silk industry where the only food of the silkworm is, is uh, the leaves of the mulberry tree, and the, the aristocrats who were expected to plant them were offered seeds, but they were also offered saplings um, of a few years old. Now, I would say that it's likely that they that what was planted here was a sapling um, rather than um, a uh, rather than a seed. It would have had to be planted in a little pot and then brought on and so on. Um, There are these things called whips, which are young saplings, two to three years old. And it's quite possible that this is what was planted. I have one in my front garden uh, that was given to me and it was grown from seed. And it's still only probably about um, two feet tall and it's about as thick as a pencil. And it's now five years old um so that's the kind of thing that might have been planted but if you were to buy a mulberry tree now you could buy one like that but you could also buy a young tree uh, that would maybe eight nine ten years old and that would be like as tall as i am which is nearly six foot um and still quite slender but that's possibly what would have been available in a nursery uh, from which they may have been able to procure one of these trees um, and there were some in the 1700s and there was one in Isleworth that had stocks in 17 something rather of 260 trees. could also have been propagated by layering you know it could have been a, 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 a bit of a branch that was stuck in the ground if like or grafted onto rootstock that's the other way they do it. Right and that would work as well just that would work as well, and you can take almost any tree, and you take the root stock of it, and you would graft um, a young um, uh, slip, something that was taken from a, a, a more mature tree, um, a shoot from that, and you could graft that onto the tree, and that would that would grow a lot quicker. So you'd have a tree producing fruit a lot quicker if you did it that way.
0: How long do you think you're going to look then for a mulberry tree to fruit? I mean, how how old is a mulberry tree going to be before you actually Getting a harvest
1: from it? The answer to that depends on where your tree came from. If it started from a seed, you're going to take about anywhere from 10 to 15 years before you're going to get a large tree that's large enough to produce fruit. If it's produced, if it's um, comes from one of the other methods, so you've got an eight year old tree and you plant it, then you might get fruit within a few years. Um, and if you grafted onto rootstock, then another three, four years. This is a black mulberry. Um, There are white mulberries that grow a lot more quickly and you can uh, stick one of those in the ground and you can get something that looks like a tree in a year or two um, and producing fruit, maybe in three or four years. Um, But um, yeah, a a black mulberry can take anywhere between eight, to 15 years before it's producing fruit.
0: Wow, okay. So we get to the point of it producing fruit, Is there a sort of uniform time when the fruit is ready, I mean, or does that again depend on where you are?
1: Yeah, it depends where you are and the further north you go, of course, in England uh, or in Britain, um, the later it's likely to be. Um, But I've noticed over the years that they tend to ripen, black mulberries tend to ripen if they have a certain amount of sunlight in July and August. Um, They're not really ripe before then, and they tend to have been eaten by birds, really, by the time September comes. As a warning to
0: anybody, as an encouragement as well, if you're thinking of getting a mulberry tree, the fruit's fantastic. Um, It's incredibly juicy when you pick it. You will get very red hands. But the little public health warning is birds absolutely love them, and you'll find lots of purple splats, in a kind of radius all around the tree. Um, it's a very vibrant color. And uh, yeah, just a, a little warning from, uh, from someone who's experienced uh, the byproducts of uh, birds eating mulberries. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times, Peter, about the black and the white mulberries. It's probably a good question to ask. If, I mean, what's the difference? What's, what are we looking at in terms of the properties and kind of nature of the, of the black and the white mulberry trees?
1: about five and a half million years ago, um, there was a, a temperate forest um, that stretched all the way from say the Eastern Mediterranean right across into towards uh, the, um, what isn't North America. And um, mulberries grew there and there wasn't, the, the difference between the white and the black mulberries tended to emerge around that sort of time, about five and a half million years ago where the whites and blacks tended to go their own way because they were geographically separated. Now, the white mulberry is the mulberry of the um, of the silkworm and um, there 's a natural uh, uh, what 's the word? codependence not codependence it 's actually parasitic it doesn 't give anything very much back to the to the tree, but the silkworm will only feed off the, the leaves of the white mulberry and it occurs naturally and this uh, in China and East Asia and throughout parts of the Himalaya and central asia um and this relationship has been exploited uh, for maybe Uh, what we're talking about 5,000, 4,700 years um, by the Chinese initially and then Japanese, Koreans and so on over the years to uh, provide an economically very important and historically and culturally very important product, which is silk. Now the black mulberry um, is not native to China. You can't really find them outside of botanic gardens in China and uh, Japan, Um, but it is native to a whole area around the Caspian Sea, which was, So say the the old Persian Empire, which would now be Iran, and it would be Azerbaijan, those sorts of countries around the Caspian, but also into Greece and Italy. And we know less about those, whether they're endemic there, in other words, native, or whether they were introduced and have become naturalized. But with the Romans, the Black Morbid kind of spread through, uh, you know, we went to Spain and went to Italy and then came to the UK, all as part of a silk industry, actually, so contrary to what many people believe, um the silkworm will be able to uh, feed on the, the leaves of the black mulberry and uh... Um, but it's, uh, the black mulberry grows very slowly, if you strip it its leaves it takes a long time to get these, uh, for them to regrow, whereas the white mulberry tends to regrow very quickly. So the white mulberry is the tree of preference and everywhere silk industries took root, um, then the black mulberry was gradually replaced by the white mulberry. So the white mulberry is grown for its leaves, it does have fruit and this fruit can be quite important but it tends to be rather insipid, it doesn't have that black juicy sort of uh, you know ribena kind of burgundy sort of uh, taste that uh, the black mulberry has but it is a staple food in central asia for making flour and bread and all kinds of things our tree was
0: in an orchard it was we know that um the garden would have had um, apricots and pears and hazelnuts there would have been other things in there and it's likely that we've got a mixed orchard how is the tree being pollinated is it is it kind of there's Would there have been more mulberry trees there? Would it have benefited from being in that mixed environment? Is that something we can say?
1: Black mulberries tend to be what they call monoecious and that comes from the Greek words of mono and ecos, which means a single house. In other words they have both male and female flowers on the same tree Um, and they're wind pollinated. They're not pollinated by insects. Unusually uh, mulberry flowers don't need to be pollinated to produce fruit. They will produce fruit whether they are um pollinated or not it's just one of those things
0: it's absolutely fantastic and then we get our oh, fantastic fruit and i'm going to ask you a personal question now what's your favorite thing to do with that fruit then peter what's your okay. you, eat it
1: raw? It down? well you know first you've got to find your mulberry tree and last year we weren't really able to get out and i do have one nearby Um, uh, and so first of all you've got to collect your fruit and if you collect it as you know you're going to get very messy so you take a bowl and you take some gloves or some clothes you don't care about Um, and just in brackets that fruit that uh, red colouring can be uh, removed uh, using uh, um, they're either a leaf or a, an unripe fruit and you rub it on and the juice that's contained in the leaf or in the green unripe fruit if you rub it on your hands or something it will take it will just dissolve the uh, the blackness it's a little bit more complicated for clothing but it will wash out um, so favorite thing to do well first of all to get them because they're messy there are lots of things perhaps you can't do with them um, But I reckon one of the nicest things, because they're a summer fruit, is either to make some kind of fruit juice or a smoothie or something like that with them, but to put them in sorbets or ice cream or something. I I would get an Iranian cookbook or a Turkish cookbook or Syrian or something. Um, And if we have any of our friends who've arrived here from, you know, leaving quite unpleasant circumstances and they brought with them knowledge of uh, uh, trees that are native to their own country, like Syria or Iran or Iraq, I would say, how do you use these at home? You know, um, what do you make with them? You know, and I, I would take a tip from them. But I would say, sorbets or ice cream. Yeah,
0: there's always a chance to learn something more. And um, we're going to wrap things up there. Um, but I just wanted to kind of, if people are interested in finding out more about mulberries or Peter about your work, places where they can do that. I know you have a book um, on mulberries.
1: Now I tell you, if you wanted to find out where to find mulberries. Uh, um, you wouldn't go to my book particularly, that's kind of like negative advertising. You'd go there to find out loads of things about mulberries and their cultural history and how they're used in art and, and, and uh, medicine and, and so on, and the differences between different kinds of mulberries and the, some of the stories associated with them. But you'd go to the website, which is the Morris Vandilian website, where there is a map. And that is an interactive map and it has charted on it. There's a map of the whole of the UK Um, It's centred on London when you open it up, you can expand it if you don't live in London. And you will see each uh, mulberry tree that we've charted um, marked with a pin And if you zoom in on that pin and click on it, you'll find, uh, well, not only the pin gives the exact location, but you'll find details about it. It might be a young one. We're not discriminating when we did the survey. So you will then find out where it is, what kind it is, and you'll see if it's an old one, if it's on private land or if it's publicly accessible. That's where I'd go.
0: And that's as good a place as any to end this edition of Midday Modern Conversations. Very special thanks to Peter Coles for all his contributions today. I've enjoyed it immensely and we hope you all have too.